Today on the Matt Walsh Show, the Daily Wire's legal fight against the Biden administration officially begins, and the media claims that the results in Virginia were the product of white grievance and white backlash, and, uh, well, they're not totally wrong. Plus, Pfizer's vaccine is now officially available to kids as young as five. The big question is, will a mandate be next, and what will happen if they try that? And mental health experts are finally admitting that masking has done psychological damage to people. I'm old enough to remember when such claims were dangerous anti-science misinformation. We'll talk about all that much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. So I want to mention this right at the top before we get to our uh, opening topic. The Biden administration's tyrannical vaccine mandate will be officially going into effect on January 4th, right after the holidays. Biden's uh, Christmas present to the country is a total deprivation of your rights. Being a sadistic freak like he is, he would like to see thousands of Americans lose their jobs right at the beginning of the new year. That's what, that, that's what, um, you know, that, that's what would bring him the most holiday cheers to see that. Now, as you know, here at The Daily Wire, we are not taking this lying down. We're not going to submit to this oppression. And this is not a game or a promotional stunt. It would be really easy for us to comply with the mandate while still protesting it on our shows and, you know, talking about how terrible it all is. Uh, is uh, uh, gee, this is, this, is, this is too bad. I mean, we, we have no choice, but uh, we really don't like it. That's what a lot of companies are going to do. That's what they are doing. But verbal protest means nothing if it comes alongside acquiescence. Begrudging acquiescence is still acquiescence. You could go along with what you're being told and shake your fist and, and shake your head and say, this is, and scowl while you're doing it. But if you're acquiescing, if you're submitting, then that's all they care about. Our legal action against the, the administration is being filed today. It's going to be an expensive fight, but a worthwhile one. I mean, this in many ways is the fight. This is one of the greatest threats to our freedom that we currently face or that we have ever seen in our lifetimes, which is no exaggeration. What that means is that um, we need all the help we can get. It's already cost us tens of thousands of dollars just to prepare the case. could easily cost us hundreds of thousands or even millions in the future if we're going to win this thing, and we plan on winning it. So if you want to join the fight and be a part of this legitimately historic moment, then become a Daily Wire member. Now, I get messages from people all the time asking how they can support us, and, uh, and this is the answer. Become a member. You can use code do not comply, get 25% discount as well when you do. Uh, become a part of the team, and it really is a team. We made a difference in Virginia. We changed the landscape there. It's something that even the media, uh, the, the corporate media, is admitting, and we'll talk more about that in the five headlines. Well, now we can take the fight to the federal government. We're going even bigger this time, and we can win there too, but uh, we need your help. So again, become a Daily Wire member today. Use code do not comply and uh, join, join us. All right, on to the main topic for today. Democrats, uh, to include the media, continue to lick their wounds and attempt to formulate some sort of rationalization for their party's overwhelming defeat on Tuesday night. They've, of course, settled on the, the racial answer, as they always do, which was pretty easy because that's the answer to every question that the leftist mind might ask. And as we discussed yesterday, it was, it was immediately decided that the voters in Virginia are all racist, which is why they voted against the white man, Terry McAuliffe, and for the black female lieutenant governor, Winsome Sears. You know, racism is, is funny that way, apparently. We played some clips on the, on the, uh, of the media conniption fit yesterday, but Grabian has put together a nice and succinct compilation. Uh, so let's, let's just take a trip down memory lane and watch some of this again. Glenn Youngkin 
played the race card for a reason, because he knows it works on certain white voters. He did stoke white grievance politics to mobilize the Republican base. He's laundered Trump's really sort of disgusting, flagrant out-racism. Yep. He's wrapped it in education. Yep. Education, right. which is code for white parents don't like the idea of teaching right. about race. That's the fundamental problem for these parents and this anti-CRT movement. They don't like the way whiteness is being portrayed in these new, more inclusive yeah. lessons. This wasn't about those pocketbook issues. This was about how white kids feel talking about what black kids go through. The subtext of all this was, we can't let these black and brown people run the country. Glenn Youngkin running on critical race theory that he knew hit a chord around race. I think all the CRT stuff is trumped up dog whistling. Some of it was uh, dog whistle racism. The dog whistle messaging that you saw Youngkin engage in during the course of the campaign. Well, a real diversity of opinion on MSNBC and CNN. You got to give them that at least. White grievance, they say. White identity politics. White anger. White backlash. Interestingly, online, um, the blame has been placed more specifically at the feet of white women. Bigoted dirtbag Wajahat Ali with the Daily Beast published an article yesterday uh, afternoon titled, You Damn Karens Are Killing America. Now, I've long argued that Karen is a racial slur originally, when I said that, people laughed at me for saying so. Uh, they're not laughing quite as much anymore because the Karen thing, as we see, is not a lighthearted jab at certain types of white women. It has become, and indeed always was, a label that non-white people use to describe any white woman they don't like. Wajhat Ali's article is nothing but a long, insult-laden diatribe targeted at all white women. He despises the entire group. And is not shy about saying so. It's impossible to imagine any white commentator using a common black female name as a pejorative and then writing an article with this kind of tone and message. This is a treatment reserved for whites and especially white women. And in fact, it's downright tame compared to what you find in less mainstream corners of the Internet. For example, here's a viral video from some random Caucasophobe. I'm going to call them now. Again, um, again, letting white women know how much he hates their guts. And again, feeling perfectly comfortable saying all of this out loud. Dear white women, what the f*** is your purpose, huh? What the f*** is your purpose, huh? What the f*** is your purpose? Other than ruining the motherfucking casserole, what the f*** is your purpose other than voting against your better interests? What the f*** is your purpose other than running the motherfucking coals with expired coals cash knowing damn well that's been expired since 2010? Talk about I want to speak to your manager. I want to buy something for my Timothy. It should be so good. It seems like every year white women just keep getting worse. Aren't they getting worse? If you look at the electorate, white women continue to vote for Republicans. Every year it keeps going up. It keeps going up. So my question is, why the f*** should we trust a lily white hoe? White women can't be trusted. Well, no, Kenny, don't be so mean to them. You know, white suburban women are going to get it together. No, you're not. If you ain't got it together then, you ain't going to get it together now. Y'all didn't even vote for your own white sister Hillary. Why the f*** should we trust white women? And the thing that's really pissing me off is we continue to coddle these white women while we keep shitting on black women. We keep shitting on black voters. But we always put all this stock into white women that are never going to fucking show up for us. That's continue to vote against their own better interests. Just can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine why um, any white woman wouldn't want to vote alongside that guy. It's a mystery. Now, the most common conservative response to the claims of white grievance and white backlash is to deny them and insist that, you know, race had nothing to do at all with the results in Virginia. But that's not really true, and we shouldn't pretend that it is. Now, 
racism had nothing to do with the results. But race itself, even white grievance and white backlash, quote unquote, did indeed play a part, and rightfully so. The fact that white voters are shy about admitting this only shows how deeply ingrained anti-white racism has become. There shouldn't be anything embarrassing or controversial about saying out loud, yeah, I am white, and I don't like anti-white racism, and I will vote against it. No member of any other race would hesitate to admit that they find racism targeted against them objectionable and that they're motivated to take action against those who display it. Virginia was not merely about race. The broader issue was education. But one of the major things that voters in Virginia wanted to extricate from their school system is anti-white racism, specifically anti-white racism. And we need to be specific about that. This is not racism in general that you find mainstream systemically in the school system. Not racism in general. It is anti-white racism. Not any other kind of racism. Anti-white. Parents do not want their children to go to school and learn white guilt and self-loathing. Yeah, that's correct. I have a grievance against that as a white person. I do. Why shouldn't I? Another viral tweet, this from a woman named uh, Morgan Kilday, says in an accusatory tone, it says, white women vote to protect their white sons. That's it. Now, she means this as a criticism, but that only shows how deeply embedded is her own anti-white bigotry. The left as a whole is hopelessly lost in the fog of its white-hating bigotry. They can't see uh, up or down. That now they accuse white mothers, accuse white mothers of wanting to protect their sons as though this is somehow shameful, as though white mothers ought to respond. No, no, that's that's absurd. I would never dare protect my sons. They're white after all. To hell with them. Yes, white mothers want to protect their white sons. Of course, white mothers want to do that, just as black mothers want to protect their sons and Asian mothers want to protect their and so on for all mothers of all races and ethnicities. Likewise, white people in general want to protect themselves and their families from all forms of bigotry and hatred that might be targeted at them. They are going to be less likely to come stand by your side if you spew racial insults and invective in their direction. The Democrats have spent years shouting into a bullhorn, white people are evil scum. They're the source of all that's wrong in the world. Die, whitey, die. Then they look with shock and horror and shake their heads in disappointment as fewer white people line up to vote for them. I mean, they're sitting there with the bullhorn. White people are terrible. And then white people walk away. They say, what are you walking away for? Oh, you must be racist. The way they see it, white people do not have the right to self-preservation, period. Don't have the right to it. We should not be motivated by any desire to protect or defend ourselves. In fact, We shouldn't even be using words like we and our at all. That's the way they see it. As a white person, to even say the word we in reference to other white people is controversial and provocative. It's a racist dog whistle. Because we're not supposed to notice our race or have any sense of racial identity at all. Everybody else on earth can. Everybody. But not white people. The only time a white person is allowed to notice their race 
or have any sense of racial identity it's in a, is in a strictly negative way. So we can look at our skin and say, I am white and I am ashamed. Shame on me. But we cannot say, I am white and I deserve to be treated with respect and dignity. That we're not allowed to say. The latter thought process is deeply troubling, says the media. It's problematic. It really worries them. It worries them that there are some white people out there who aren't uh, ready to, to, to throw themselves into a fire. It's white grievance, they say. Well, you're damn right it is. We have a grievance. And our grievance is against you, rabid, foaming-at-the-mouth bigots. We don't want to vote for your side if it means we must bow in shame and submission. And we certainly don't want you anywhere near our children. Kids have enough identity crises foisted upon them by the culture already. They don't need racial self-loathing on top of it. So white grievance, white backlash, sure. Absolutely. Well-deserved. And we aren't the ones who owe an apology here either. Now let's get to our five headlines. Very happy to introduce an incredible app that uh, everyone who buys gas needs to know about. Get Upside is what it's called. My listeners are making up to 25 cents for every gallon of gas every time they fill up. Just download the free Get Upside app in the App Store or Google Play right now. Use promo code Walsh and get a bonus 25 cents per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents uh, that you're getting back on your fill up. This is free money. It's as simple as that. Why would you leave free money sitting there on the floor? It doesn't make any sense. Don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Get cash back using GetUpside. Just download the app for free. Use promo code Walsh to get up to 50%, uh, rather 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. Some people who drive a lot are making as much as two to $300 a month in cash back, and there's no catch. The cash back gets added to your account right away. You don't have to go through any, you don't have to climb a mountain or anything to go find it at the top of a mountain. They just send you the, uh, the the money. They send it right to your bank account, PayPal, e-gift e card for Amazon, and other brands as well. It's as simple as that. So here's what you need to do. Download the free GetUpside app and use promo code Walsh to get up to 50 cents a gallon cash back on your first tank. That's code Walsh, the GetUpside app. All right. We'll let Media Matters have a lot of fun with that, as I'm sure they will. You know, the other thing, by the way, that, that I think uh, has gone that I cannot allow to go unnoticed is, is that I think what really swung the election at the end of the day, when it, when it comes down to it, what this is really about is, uh, is really the sweet baby gang. I, I think, and I only say, and I don't even really mean it as a joke. I actually think the sweet baby gang is, is, is what uh, made the difference in that election. Sweet baby gang, the most important movement of the 21st century. I just have to find a good place for, uh, for our compound. And by the way, what flavor Kool-Aid do you guys all prefer? Cherry? Is it? Well, just let me know in the comments. Um, all right. So Biden announced, speaking of uh, Kool-Aid, announced that the Pfizer shot will be rolled out officially for kids 5 to 11. We knew this was coming. Uh, we, 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 you know, we, we've been told about this. We've been promised or threatened, depending on how you look at it, that the, the vaccine will be made available for kids as young as 5. And now Joe Biden is very excited to tell us that uh, you can finally bring your kids in and jab this substance right into their bodies. Uh, and he expects that we will all be lining up to do so. Here's Joe Biden making the big announcement. Today's a great day for American parents and American families and American children. We've taken a giant step forward to further accelerate our path out of this pandemic. 
After months of rigorous and independent scientific review, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, authorized, and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, recommended a COVID-19 vaccine for children ages 5 through 11. For parents all over this country, this is a day of relief and celebration. After almost 18 months of anxious worrying every time the children or your child had a sniffle or started to cough, well, you can now protect them from this horrible virus because that would always worry you that was what's coming along. 28 million more young Americans are now eligible for the protection of a vaccine. And my administration is ready. We're ready from day one, today, organized and have a plan for this vaccination's launch. As soon as next week, we'll have enough vaccine and enough places, and parents will be able to schedule appointments to get their kids their first shot. And we've already secured enough vaccine supply for every single child in America ages 5 through 11. Oh, that's good news. Well, you can you, you go ahead and uh, hang on to that, Biden. Why, why don't you take them all yourself? How about that? That's my suggestion. You, no, you go ahead. You could, you could take all, all my kids. I got four kids, and you can have all their doses. Go ahead, you you, you, you can take those. Biden says uh, mon- months and years of anxious worry every time a child has a, the sniffles or a cough. Um, no, that's not the case for me because I'm not a paranoid lunatic. And I also understand the science behind this, which has been very clear from the beginning. That COVID is almost no threat to kids whatsoever. Almost. There's a, a, a list, a enormous, a gigantic list of things that are far more threatening to kids uh, than COVID. And many of those things that are higher on the list are things that most parents don't even think about at all. So no, I haven't been worried at all. In fact, um, my kids had the sniffles and a cough last week. And I didn't worry about it at all. Guess what? I didn't get them tested. Yeah, I don't. Every time my kid has a cough or a sniffle, I don't run out and get them COVID tested. I don't. I, I'm not living. You know why I don't live that way? Because that's crazy. That's insane. The people get colds. Kids get colds. That still exists in the world. In fact, kids are getting colds a lot more now than they were before because we put them in masks, or a lot of people put their kids in masks. I didn't put mine in. But uh, people put their kids in masks and lock, locked them in a, in, a, in a house for two years. And now their immune systems are shot. And so they're going to be getting a lot of colds. You get a panic that it's COVID every single time. What, every time your kid has a sniffle? Lock everything down, quarantine them, quarantine yourself, call out of work. I don't think so. No, I don't get them COVID tested. Um, I'm not going to get them the shot. I'm not. And if that makes you angry or upsets you or if you think it's reckless or whatever, I'm glad that you feel that way. I'm glad you're upset about it. Because it's not going to happen. And now the real question is, uh, will the Biden administration try to mandate this, try to do something similar to what they've done, mandating it for adults. Um, will they attempt to do this on the federal level for kids five, you know, down to the age of five? That's the question. Now, in some places, like in San Francisco and and in, in deep blue places, they've already instated some mandates like this, but you, know, you can get away with that. You can get away with a lot of things in San Francisco, okay? A whole lot of things. Um, but I will tell you right now, and this is um, 
this is a yeah, this is a this is a threat. Okay, or take it as a warning. You you try to pass any kind of nationwide mandate on kids. You try to tell parents outside of these deep blue areas where everyone is completely insane, outside of those areas, you try to tell parents that they have to allow you to inject a substance into their children's bodies. You have no idea what is coming. It'll make the the school boards look tame by comparison. Because what you should have learned from the school board meetings is that you don't mess with people's kids. You know, there, there are a lot of parents, a lot of people who will give you a lot of leeway, much more leeway than they should. And they'll allow you to even infringe on their own liberties more than they should. And allow you to do all kinds of things to them. But the moment you point to their kids and say, yeah, bring the kid over here too to get a piece of this. The moment you do that, you know, that's, that is the line in this. It's not, it's not in the sand. It's in concrete. That is a line drawn in concrete for millions of people. And you, you try to go to this extent, depriving parents of, over, over, of, their, of their parental rights in, the, in, in, in this most fundamental way, depriving them of the ability to decide what happens to their kids? What kind of substances are put into their bodies? <laughs> You're going to reap the whirlwind on that. That is that is a statement of fact. It'll, it'll be a backlash um, unlike anything, unlike anything uh, that, that, that we've seen before. Um, and, that, and that is something that will cut across, just like in Virginia. Despite what, we're, what they try to tell us, this was not a far-right movement there might have been plenty of people who are on the far right i proudly will will call myself on on the far right you know who were involved there but i was there in virginia myself i talked to i talked to plenty of people and many of them were were basically non-political or even or even previous to this would have identified themselves as liberal but they don't like it when you mess with their kids you try to do that with the vaccine mandate any kind of vaccine mandate to kids um, you're going to have a, a coalition of furious parents on your hands all across the country. That's what's going to happen. All right, next, um, the media is on to our game, guys. There, uh, we, we, We've seen several articles like this. Here's from the Daily Dot. Um, wondering, fretting, accusing the Daily Wire of, uh, of, you know, somehow influencing the results of the election. It says, Republican Glenn Youngkin will be the next governor of Virginia. His win over Democratic Terry McAuliffe is seen as a stinging rebuke to Democrats ahead of the 2022 midterm elections. While there's plenty of blame and credit to go around in any election, many believe the electoral came down to one thing, a Daily Wire story. And it talks about the, the story that we're all familiar with. And then uh, it goes on and on. And then finally, at the end, it says this. For months, the Daily Wire has relentlessly pushed stories about critical race theory in the Virginia governor's race. The day before the election, the Republican State Leadership Committee Use the outlet's mailing list in a last-minute fundraising pitch for Youngkin. Many consider it unethical. Listen to this. Many consider it unethical for media outlets to function as an apparatus of a political campaign. Well, we're not anybody's apparatus, but 
That is a, it's obviously a hilariously ironic statement coming from anyone in the left-wing press. Many consider it unethical for media outlets to function as an apparatus of political campaign. Yeah, you're right. It is. And as it happens, Democrat political campaigns have the apparatus of the entire corporate media. And that includes, by the way, media outlets who pretend to be objective. Now, we... we, We don't hide from the fact that we have a point of view, at least on the commentary side of things. I'm in the Daily Wire. I don't hide from it at all. I have a a very clear point of view, and I I want to push my point of view. I'm very upfront about that. And yet, you you know, one of the the primary differences here is that if we're talking about, you know, NBC nightly news or something, where they're pretending, unlike me, or I will straightforwardly say, I'm not objective and don't pretend to be. You watch a news anchor over at NBC Nightly News or ABC News or whatever, or you go to NBCnews.com and you read one of their news articles, you know, they are pretending to be objective. This is all under the guise of objectivity. I'm not, I'm not worried about people who are who are unobjective, who are subjective, who are biased, and admit to it. You know, I don't really care. MSNBC has opinion programs that are pretty straightforward about about having their opinions. Okay, fine. But it's when you have bias that is not upfront and honest about what it is. And that's the other thing. Media bias is is not a new phenomenon either. I mean, go back and look at old newspaper clippings from, uh, you know, the, the 19th century, from the Civil War era. And you're going to find that the media was heavily partisan and always has been. The difference with, with a lot of these corporate media outlets is that they don't admit to it. They lie about it. And that's what makes it a problem. And you know this is this is maybe the most absurd claim that we're hearing from from the left wing media, which is the entire corporate media. You know the way that they try to they are trying to position this. In fact, I was just I, I don't remember which outlet had it was, it was I was just reading a headline from one of these outlets. They're all the same, claiming that Republicans have an enormous advantage because they have because they have a media apparatus on their side. Unlike the Democrats who don't, it's the same thing they do with social media now. Claiming somehow that that the social media companies are biased in our favor. And of course, what they they really mean when they say, oh, the the Republicans have the media on their side or uh, conservatives have, you know, there's a a pro-conservative bias on social media. What they really mean is that um, conservatives still have some kind of voice in the media and that we're still able to attract some kind of audience. You know, we, we haven't been entirely shut down on social media. We still exist on social media. And that's what they have a problem with. Until we have been completely wiped out, erased, sent into the hinterlands, evicted from, uh, from civilized society... 
Until that happens, then they're going to continue talking about how we have all these, these great advantages. The advantage is that we have some kind of voice at all. They think we should have no voice. All right. Um, and once again, they're not honest about that either. Okay. This is from the Wall Street Journal. It says, wearing a mask in situations with high COVID-19 risk makes medical sense. But what about covering up your face just because you're embarrassed to show it? With the transition to a post-pandemic world, some mental health specialists worry about people who may have grown dependent on masks to shield themselves from human connection. If it gets serious enough, the dependency amounts to a form of social anxiety disorder, they say. Mask wearing, uh, this is according to Noboru Watanabe, is a Tokyo psychiatrist, says mask wearing helps people temporarily escape from tension and anxiety, but it also makes it easier to feel isolated. We humans cannot live alone. We live in a society communicating with others. Um, and then it goes on to talk about how this is a, especially an issue in, in uh, Asian countries like Japan, where masking is even more widespread than, a, than, than it is here, and people have just adopted it as a normal way of life. And in fact, you hear pro-maskers in this country pointing to Asia and say, you know, Asian countries, they, they just wear masks all the time, COVID or no COVID. So why can't we do the same? Well, here's one of the reasons why we can't do the same. It's um, put, putting everything else aside. We, we are psychologically, mentally destroying people. I mean, we're supposed to be human beings. And being able to show your face in public, being unafraid to breathe fresh air, being able to communicate with another person where you can both see each other's faces, that's a fundamental, it's a fundamental aspect of human existence. And so, yeah, it matters to take away a fundamental aspect of human existence. But it's just another one of those things that those of us on the sane side of this question have been making this point all along. That this is not psychologically healthy to have people walking around in masks all day. You know. Um, it's not, it's not, it, it, this, this is not a way to live a, a well-rounded, fully human life. Where you, where you have, you know, where you're, you are walking around as this kind of faceless entity interacting with other faceless entities. And for months and months and months, we've been condemned and mocked for making this point. Now, who cares about psychological health? Who cares about the fundament, fundamental aspects of human existence? Who cares? This is all about physical safety. Um, but in fact, it does matter because we are human beings and we're not robots. Yeah, I mentioned a couple days ago a, a scene that you know I've seen before and many of us have seen, but to the point where it almost gets normal and you hardly notice it, but, but, but we don't want it to be normal. We, we, don't, we don't want to get to the point where you know, we, we breeze right past it. So when I was hiking with my wife up in the mountains in North Carolina, and you know, we're out in the woods, and it's also a foggy, kind of misty, kind of cold day, which I think is perfect weather for hiking, but a lot of people don't feel that way. So it was, um, you know, we parked at the parking lot near like, the visitor center, and there, was, there were no other park, cars in the parking lot. There was nobody else around. And um, for the, you know, almost nobody else. So we're, we're hiking these mostly empty trails. And then a woman walks by on a mountain in the woods 
outside, nobody else around, and she has a mask on her face. This, this is someone, as I've said all along, this is someone who's, whose brain has been broken. They have been psychologically destroyed. I mean, if you were to stop and talk to this woman um, and, and ask her, like, what are you doing? Why, why do you have that mask on? What do you think is going to happen to you? What, what function do you think that mask is serving for you right now? How exactly do you think you might get COVID in the woods while you're walking through a trail? Yeah, I, I, look, I, I know. In fact, I've just I just read that 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 the deer are especially susceptible to COVID. So yeah, but so what, do you think a deer is going to run up and cough in your face? Is that why you have it on? Walk me through the process. The mental process, you put that mask on in the morning before you left your house, and I'm sure you put it on before you left your house and then drove in a car with it too. What were you thinking to yourself? What purpose did this serve? Now, if you were to have that conversation, well, it wouldn't be a conversation. You wouldn't be able to have a conversation because they wouldn't have any answer. They have become, it's, it, it's, it would be like asking, you know, a heroin addict who's just about, who's about to stick the needle in his arm. And going up to him and saying, why are you doing that? You know, what's, what's the logical reason for doing this? Walk me through your logical steps. Well, there is no logical reason. He's, a, he's an addict. And we've got a lot of people now who are addicted to masking. Um, and that, as, as it turns out, that does matter. But we have to wait. You know, we have to wait for the experts. We have to wait for the so-called experts to make these points. And then the rest of us are allowed to. As always, the non-experts are months and months ahead of the experts. So the non-experts can make common sense observations and then be mocked and derided for it. And a year later, 14 months later, the, an expert could come along and say, you know what? That's actually correct. And well, they don't say that. No, they pretend like it was their idea. Hey, I just, I just realized something. Maybe this isn't great for people's psychological mental health. Especially when we're in the middle of what we're told is a mental health crisis and, uh, and there's, a, there's a suicide epidemic, which there is. And people who are suicidal and depressed, they already feel isolated in the world. They already feel as though they're not noticed. They feel disconnected from other people. And so making them literally faceless, interacting with other faceless entities, you know, that's probably not the best thing for them. Now, we had to wait for the, the experts to tell us that, and then we were allowed to, to agree with it. All right. Um, let's see. We Also, there, speaking of uh, being in the mountains, this is from the New York Post. It says, a hiker lost in a mountain in Colorado ignored repeated calls from rescuers, later explaining that they had been unfamiliar with the phone number. The person was reported missing after they didn't return from an expedition. Um, search crews canvassed the area the following day but couldn't find the hiker. The team then tried calling the hiker but were unable to reach them. The hiker had apparently wandered off the trail and spent the night looking for it. After 24 hours lost, they found their way out and made it to the car. Um, the person apparently didn't know that a search team had been looking for them. The subject ignored repeated calls because they didn't recognize the number. So they were lost in the woods for 24 hours. You know, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a decent amount of time to be lost in the woods. You got you to go through at least one night in the woods by yourself. They have their phone and it works and they're getting calls on the phone. And they look at the calls and say, ah, you know, I don't want 
I don't recognize the number. It might be a telemarketer or something. Probably calling about my car warranty. I'm not going to pick up. I, I respect that. I really do. As someone, and I would probably do the same, you know, as someone who is, I, I am steadfastly opposed to really phone calls of all types. I don't care who it's from. There is just no reason. There's almost no good reason to, to, to pick up the, the phone and actually call someone these days. Whatever you want to say, you know, if you have just a, and most of the time when someone calls you, right, they, they really have one piece of information they want to express, they want to communicate to you. They've got about one sentence worth of content that they need to bring to your, to your attention. And so they call you on the phone and five seconds later, they've imparted that information to you, but now you're still on the phone with them. And so you feel like you have to say, oh, okay, well, thanks for telling me that. Um, so what else is going on? And then you have this awkward exchange and the telephone conversations are, are already even more awkward than they need to be because you're deprived of, you know, uh, body language. You can't see the other person, which means that you can't have in a normal, you know, person to person conversation. There can be pauses. You don't have to talk the entire time, but on a phone, there can't be any pause at all. Pause is excruciating. So you got to fill that time. You have to you just keep filling it with more and more talking which means that the conversation goes on longer and longer when there's no reason for the conversation to begin with. Text message, email, that's all you need. And if you really feel like you have to have a conversation with me, then come talk to me face-to-face. And if we're not in the same state and you can't talk to me face-to-face, then I guess I will just will never talk to you again. That's the way it has to go. All right, now let's get to our uh, comment section. This Frederick Wilde says, Matt Walsh really is a detriment to the right. He's petty and mean-spirited, as in the cheap lipstick shot against McCullough, in a way that's just as reprehensible as the screeching of racism by the left whenever anyone disagrees with them. He's an old-style Republican with no sense of fair play and honest engagement, and I don't want him on our team with all of his constant invective and dirty tricks. I thought, isn't my constant invective and dirty tricks, isn't that my whole charm, if I have any? The only exception I'll take with, uh, with, with you on this, Frederick, is um, that doesn't make me an old-style Republican. No, that makes me a new-style conservative. Old-style Republican is certainly not that. Um, Led Zeppelin says, Matt is completely right about being an adult living at home with your parents. Unfortunately, these days, there's a lot more to it. As a young man right out of high school, I moved out of my house and state, lived on my own for almost a decade. It's a really good experience. I think everyone should go through. Then my dad lost his job and got very sick. Bills were getting very tight, and it didn't make sense for me to pay my rent and his mortgage. I moved back in. We didn't lose the house. Everything has been fine since. But let me tell you, as a 30-year-old guy, when you tell that to people, nobody believes that's why you live at home. And um, I don't blame them, but I love my family, and I don't know if any household can make it on a single income these days. Well, yeah, that's a completely different situation, right? You, You were living on your own. You moved out of the house. You moved back in to take care of your parents. That's obviously, to me, a very different sort of situation. Um, just as there are you know, adults who have their elderly parents come and move in with them. No, nobody would accuse them of being childish or you know, having extended adolescence because they had their elderly, sick parents move in with them. 
Um, so that's a very different thing. The issue I was talking about and the real issue in our society are adults who have never lived on their own and stay with their parents as adults so that their parents can take care of them. Now, we know there could be some exceptions there. I mean, if, if, you're, if you yourself are very sick or, or, you know, there could be situations. But for the most part, um, as you become an adult, you should develop the skills and the ability and the desire to take care of yourself and to be independent. That's part of being an adult. The problem is when you have adults living at home for these extended periods of time as, as dependents. I mean, you should not be with, you know, in most cases, you should not be a 25-year-old dependent on your parents. And again, you shouldn't want to either. That's the other thing I don't, I don't understand. Like I, when I was, um, when I was a, a young man, I, I, I wanted to leave the home, not because I hated my home or I hated my parents. I craved independence. I wanted to be out there in the world doing my own thing and making my own way. That's a, that's a desire that I had. And I just don't understand all of these people who lack that desire, especially young men. You know, it's not natural. It's talk about not being psychologically healthy. You should want that. All right. Um, Charles says, normally I skip over the ads on the other Daily Wire shows, but I look forward to yours with youthful glee. The subtle and dry sarcasm you read these ads with is the highlight of the show. SBG for life. I don't know what you're talking about, Charles. I have no idea what you, what you mean. Um, uh, Amon says, or rather Margo says, Matt, I can't believe you let your daughter dress up as a witch for Halloween. They are real and evil and enemies of the church. Very disappointing for a man with a Cairo tattoo. Um, no, the, the witch with the pointy hat and the broom, they are not, they are not real. That's a fictional character, Margo. I appreciate your concern for my, for my eight-year-old daughter's witch costume. Okay, she was not demonically possessed by wearing it. Um, she's is she is not now engaging in the black arts. Okay, she's not becoming a Satanist. That's a fictional character. Now, is demonic possession real? Yes. But that's when a little kid dresses up with a witch with a pointy hat, you know, a green face, long nose, and a and a broom, that's not what they are trying to portray. So but again, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your concern about my kids' Halloween costumes and for um, you know uh, making your opinion known. It's very, very valuable feedback, and I will um, make sure to ignore it. Eamon says, "Look, I'm not a father yet, so maybe I don't know, but I would be concerned with the morals of killing the boyfriend. In church, we're taught murder is the second biggest sin you can commit, above breaking the law of chastity. No, I'm not concerned with prison. That's temporary. Family, um, family is eternal. Uh, he's talking about the case of the father who." According to the reports, the father's daughter was um, was sent into was was sex trafficked, became a sex slave, and uh, the boyfriend is what's is who sold her into sex trafficking. The father went and rescued his daughter, and then uh, when he was told that the boyfriend was responsible, he tracked the boyfriend down and uh, beat him with a cinder block and then stabbed him to death and dumped him in a car in the trunk of a car where he remained for uh, for a year and then uh, unfortunately was found. And so now that the father has been charged with murder. Um, no, I, um, yeah, I, I will again reiterate, I don't, I don't see what this father did wrong. 
Um, you, but I, I think there are times when your your fatherly duty takes over, and you're called. Uh, you know, look, the other thing we have to we have to keep in mind here is that people have lost all faith in the justice system. We really, we really don't have a justice system anymore. There is no system of justice. And so, you know, you could say, well, well no, let the, you know, let the authorities take care of it. They'll bring him to justice. We have no reason to think that will ever happen. And so you're going to find, you'll probably find cases like this more and more. But no, if I, if I were on the, the jury, there's no way I would, uh, you know, maybe you convict this guy. He, he dumped the body in a, par- in a car and left it in the woods. So maybe convict him of a parking violation. So you're right. There were some crimes committed, probably a parking violation. Maybe you get him on uh, dis- improper disposal of a corpse. And so you hit him with a misdemeanor for those and um, slap him on the wrist, maybe give him a $25 fine and then send him on his way. All right. Another one says, uh, at least Matt stopped degrading 12-year-olds ever since a 12-year-old said he listened every day. Got to speak out as a 12-year-old listener since Matt's been kind of rude to me and my homies lately. No, I don't degrade 12-year-olds at all. I degrade adults who, who act like 12-year-olds, but 12-year-olds are perfectly uh, within the right stack like 12-year-olds. In fact, I would, as a 12-year-old, I would encourage you to act like a 12-year-old because this is your only opportunity to act like a 12-year-old. So just to clarify there. But thank you for listening. Um, And uh, let's see what else we got. Isaac says, Matt, will you keep your Christmas decorations up until January 9th per the liturgical calendar? Yeah, well, we keep them up um, that long per the lazy calendar. You know, and then then I guess I'm pretty sure that's why the liturgical calendar goes to January 9th with the Christmas season. Just because people are kind of lazy, don't want to take the decorations down. Then after the fact, we, we figured out a liturgical reason. That's not the real church history at all, but um, I, I would be lying. We do keep it up longer. I'd be lying if, this was, if I said this was purely out of uh, you know, solidarity with the liturgical calendar. It's also just, it's also just laziness. And, and as we all know, taking down the Christmas decorations is not as fun as putting them up, and so you put it off for that reason. And uh, so that's my, that's my moment of honesty for you. One of my favorite things to talk about is mortgage refinancing. And finally, we have a sponsor that allows me to get into this. Um, American financing is what it's called. A mortgage refinance might be the smartest move you make all year. It could save you thousands in interest, maybe help pay off your loan sooner, even allow you to access cash. But to really capitalize on a mortgage refinance, you must be sure you're choosing the right loan with the right lender. That's why I recommend American financing, America's home for home loans. For over 20 years, they've been a mortgage industry leader offering competitive rates, low monthly payments, and custom terms without ever charging upfront or hidden fees. It's a no-pressure experience that's focused on you, and it just takes a 10-minute call to get started. That's it. You'll get a, but you might stay on for even longer uh, if you love talking about uh, mortgage refinancing as much as I do. You'll get a free mortgage review, and we'll learn about ways to save up to $1,000 a month. You may even skip two mortgage payments along the way, but you've got to call America Financing, and you've got to do it right now. 866-569-4711. That's 866-569-4711, or visit AmericanFinancing.net. And... Almost forgot. Americans are the targets of the corporate propaganda machine known as the mainstream media, and it's time we start waking up to the constant 
deception and start exposing the skeletons they keep locked firmly in their closet. Daily Wire is doing everything possible to bring you the truth every single day, especially with our recent foray into investigative journalism. Our mission to bring the facts front and center is going strong. The talents of our journalists is unparalleled, like Luke Rosiak, who broke the Loudoun County sexual assault story. And um, we watched as his excellent work, along with the work of journalists like Christopher Rowe, Rufo, affected real change in the Virginia election. Um, and also me. Am I on here? So, okay. So we'll, have to, we'll have to add that on there because, you know, me also. Um, and the, but really, there's real change happening in Virginia. But investigative journalism is expensive, which is why so few media companies do the work. This is also why we need your support. For as little as $4 a month, you can help us keep exposing the truth and reclaim the narrative. Every new member that joins our ranks strengthens our ability to build up our investigative reporting team. If you want to join us in the fight, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe and use code REALNEWS to get your fix of real news today. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, um, I'm going to be very petty. Granted, this segment is almost always petty. I really could call the segment five minutes of pettiness, and that would probably capture the spirit of what I'm doing here. But in any case, I'm feeling especially petty today after driving into work this morning. And the problem with driving to work every morning is that I live in Nashville. And though the people of Nashville are wonderful in many ways, they are not wonderful on the road. This town is populated by all of the world's worst drivers. I don't know if bad drivers come here so that, they, so that they can be with their own kind. Maybe Nashville has become something of a mecca for incompetent motorists. They come here on pilgrimages. Many die along the way. Or maybe after coming here, good drivers become bad. Is there something in the water? Is there something in the Tennessee whiskey? I mean, I suppose there probably definitely is something in the whiskey that would make you a bad driver. Maybe I've just solved the riddle. I don't know. This is a question for psychiatrists and anthropologists to study. All I know is that as I drive into Nashville, I get a literal front row seat to witness every bad driving habit every single morning, ramped up by a factor of 10. So just to give you an example of the kind of thing you might encounter as you travel the highways and byways of our lovely town, I have on multiple occasions witnessed people screech to a halt on the highway I mean a dead stop from 70 to zero so they don't miss their exit. I saw a guy once blow past his exit, screech to a stop, drive onto the shoulder, and reverse on the shoulder back to his exit. I witnessed this because I was the guy right behind him. The guy who, if not for my own incredible skill, I'm the only skilled driver in the entire state, by the way. If not for that, I would have rammed right into him, killing him, and far more tragically, myself. But he didn't believe that I existed. Now, for him, the other drivers are mere phantoms. They're aberrations. We exist only in the theoretical. He is the only corporeal life form on the road, which is why he can do whatever he wants and be as reckless as he wants without fear of colliding with another solid object. That's how he views it anyway, unless until he learns otherwise and learns it the hard way. And lots of people in Nashville learn that lesson the hard way every day. I drive about 10 miles to work. And in that 10 miles every day, I pass three or four accidents every day. And that's if the weather is good. If it's bad or even just mildly unpleasant, the highways look like the walking dead. Cars and bodies littered all over the place. A truck flipped upside down. Someone's Jeep is stuck up in a tree somehow. A guy in a motorcycle is like dangling over the overpass. It would appear that as soon as the first raindrop hits the windshield, people panic and just drive directly into the nearest object. And this is all very distressing for me because then I am in the unfortunate psychological position of feeling annoyed at all of these people, even though half of them may well be dead. I don't want to be annoyed at your pain and suffering. I don't don't like that. But you're making me late for work. 
and you should have learned to drive before you got on the road. Yes, you know, yet this is, this is all really, I think, a preamble to my main point. I could continue complaining about Nashville drivers for another 35 minutes, but I'm not sure how relevant that kind of content would be to the average non-Nashville citizen. My main point is this. I could run all of the worst driving habits on my local roads, but none of it is unique to Nashville. The volume and frequency is unique, but bad drivers are everywhere all over this nation of ours. And I have, you know, I have, I have to navigate around them everywhere I go. And the number one habit of bad drivers everywhere, at least on the highway, is that they don't know how to merge. I was almost killed yet again this morning by a bad merger, which is why it's top of my mind. And I'll tell you what happened. I was driving along on the highway, preparing to get off on my exit. See, I'd already positioned myself in the rightmost lane because my exit was a mile ahead and I wanted to be ready to take it when the time came. I didn't stay in the left lane until my exit was 25 feet away and then attempt to cut across four lanes of traffic. I didn't do that. You see, I was already in the right lane before the exit comes. But as I was driving in that right lane, anticipating my exit, somebody in the merge lane entering the highway from the entrance ramp just before my exit suddenly jerked onto the highway into my lane going about 15 miles an hour. I had to once again slam on my brakes, saving my life and undeservedly his. I then hit my horn in retribution and shouted, you know, you dumbass learned to drive or whatever, but he couldn't hear me. No doubt he went on his merry way, oblivious to the fact that he just had a near-death experience. For this guy, this probably happens every day. His life is saved every day and he doesn't even know it. Now, this idiot made the same mistake that the majority of drivers who are also idiots seem to make. Somehow, you know, we require that new drivers go through a driving test, but merging doesn't make it into the exam. And the result is that the highway is filled with suicide bombers and kamikaze pilots who plunge into traffic, taking their lives into their hands every time they do it. Merging is an art almost entirely lost in our world today. So let me give you the tutorial. When you're entering the highway, you will notice that the other cars on the highway They're all going fast. And this, it would seem, frightens the average driver. And so they come to a dead stop in the middle of the merge lane, waiting for a hole in the traffic, not realizing that the hole in traffic, this is physics, moves with the traffic. And they then insert themselves into that gap at a speed about 90% slower than the rest of the cars on the road. Then comes the accident and people die. And worst of all, I am inconvenienced. Here's the way it's supposed to work. When merging into traffic, you increase your speed. Go faster. Get up to the speed of the traffic on the road. You have a whole lane, remember? Usually a merge lane will extend for dozens of feet or more. So make use of that lane that's been given to you for that purpose. Speed up, pick your spot, seamlessly merge into that spot while going the same speed as the cars in front and behind you. If you do it correctly, nobody should have to hit their brakes at all to accommodate you. If you're waiting for someone to let you in, thinking that, you know, they'll slam on their brakes, bringing traffic to a standstill and roll out the red carpet for you, you're not approaching the situation the right way. It is your job to assimilate yourself into traffic, to become one with the flow of traffic, to take your place on that great dance floor that is the highway without anyone else having to break their rhythm. That is your solemn and sacred responsibility. It's why there's a yield sign in the merge lane, not a stop sign. Learn the difference you suicidal maniac. Now, if all of this is too complicated for you, and it is for some people, or if you find highways too intimidating, then stay home. Save us all the trouble. Save our lives and your own. Otherwise, I have no choice but to say, you're canceled.
And we'll leave it there for today. I told you it was going to be petty at the end of the show. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Our technical director is Austin Stevens. Production manager, Pavel Vodosky. The show is edited by Ali Hinkle. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2021. John Bickley here, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief. Wake up every morning with our new show, Morning Wire. On today's episode, several elections change the national landscape, the Supreme Court hears arguments on the Texas pro-life law, and San Francisco suffers more fallout from skyrocketing crime. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire. 